whatever you use as uh, your Bible, but you get ready and hang on because we're going to have a lot of scriptures this morning, so uh, you better be quick on the draw, and uh, if not, you might want to make notes. But, you know, I was thinking about um, an old song, and I tried to find it. I'm pretty good at Googling things, and I could not find it to save my life. Uh, so I, I remember part of it. I wanted to quote it, but we used to sing it when I was growing up, and uh, some of you may remember it. I know the chorus was, He is watching, He is waiting, He is longing your soul to set free. Weary one, give your heart to the Savior. Live with Him through eternity. But one of the verses said, Are you tired of the life you're now living? Are you burdened with sin and its care? And I can't remember the other verses, but the whole theme of that song was an invitation, a question to to a person to say, you know, do you feel like your life is hopeless? Do you wish you could start over? How many of us have have thought that? We all have at some point or another. Uh, We feel like maybe we have totally messed up our life. We think, boy, my life is an absolute disaster I wish my life was a sheet of paper and I could roll it up in a ball and throw it in the trash can and get a brand new sheet of paper and just start over. You know, I I wish I could just start over. And one of the reasons that Christianity has always been so attractive to the down and out, if you matter of fact, if you go back in history, you look at when Christianity began to spread, uh, it was very popular among the slaves of ancient Rome. Very popular among the people who were downcast. Now, it's made, it made its way to Caesar's household. It made its way to the, to the high and mighty because, as we all know, just because you've got a position or power or prosperity doesn't mean that you're a happy camper. There's a lot of very unhappy rich folks, a lot of very unhappy people in positions of power who are yearning for something real. And what I want to share this morning is a message I've entitled, A New Beginning. One of the things I love about the Christmas message, and really our whole Christian faith, is it is a message that says to anybody, anywhere, at any time, you can start over. You can begin again. And I want us to look at at Scripture. We're going to start in the Old Testament. And what we're going to do, we're going to look at the prophecy about a new beginning. And then we're going to look at the fulfillment of it. And we're going to begin in Isaiah chapter 42. Isaiah chapter 42 and verse number 9. Matter of fact, the first nine verses of Isaiah 42 are all about a prophecy about the coming Messiah. But we're only going to read verse number 9 in the interest of time. There the prophet Isaiah says, Behold, the former things, that's the old things, have come to pass or passed away. They've already happened. And new things I declare. Before they spring forth, I will tell you of them. And then if you look over just a page over, Isaiah 43 and verses 18 and 19. In that same Uh, frame of mind, the prophet says, Do not remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in 
the desert. There in Isaiah 43, both 42 and 43, there is a promise from the Lord to the prophet Isaiah that I'm going to do something new. He just says it's going to be a new thing. He doesn't say what that thing is. It's just going to be something new. I know we all get excited about new things. I'll, I'll never forget growing up when I was a kid at Mount Zion, there were two characters, and I, I won't call their names because somebody might be listening. They might remember those folks, might be kin to them. But it was very funny to me as a young boy. There was a certain guy who had bought him a brand new vehicle. You remember those, uh, what were they? They were a cross between a truck and a car. El Caminos, yeah, it was one of those El Caminos. Kind of looked like a car, but it had like a bed. You know, they don't make them anymore. It was it had a bed like a truck, and and this guy had a brand spanking new El Camino that he brought uh, to church, and he was so proud of it, you know. And he was saying, "Well, look, everybody was looking at it, you know." And there was this guy, uh, that, and he was he had such a dry wit about him, and he went up and looked at that car, and he says, "Boy, I tell you what, that looks good." He said, "Yeah." He was choice. He said, "Yeah, look here." He said, it "Does this? It does this." And, he said, I tell you what, he said, that thing looks nearly brand new. He said, oh, it is brand new. It is. It's, it's brand new. It is brand new. And that was so funny to me. The guy knew it was brand new, but he just was picking at him. He said, oh, it looks nearly brand new. He said, oh, it is brand new. It's that. You know, we're just excited about new things. You know, something new comes out. As a matter of fact, you go in a grocery store. You know, if you ever take any marketing classes... Uh, in, in, and I didn't have to go to a college marketing class. All I had to do was work at Harvey's Supermarket for a couple of years, and I learned this. It can sit on the shelf for 31 cents a can, and it'll collect dust. But you can put it on a display in the middle of the floor, and you can put new, and then put sell, today only, three for a dollar, and boy, it will just fly. It will fly off. You just raised it by two cents. Uh, a can, but it is selling now because you've got it out there, and you tell them it's three for a dollar. It's it's you know today only. We better get this before it before it runs out. So so there's something about a new thing that we're all interested in. We, we just enjoy something new, and and the Bible here in Isaiah and in Jeremiah, he is really given a teaser, if you will, that the Lord says, "I'm going to do something new." It's not going to be what you are, you are involved in now. It's going to be a new thing. Well, what is that new thing? Well, if we go over to Jeremiah chapter 31, we get a little more detail of what that new thing is. In Jeremiah chapter 31 and, and uh, verse number 31, as a matter of fact, chapter 31 and verse number 31, there the prophet Jeremiah says, the Lord speaking through the prophet, he said, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. So there it is. It's not just a new thing. Here the prophet says, I'm going to make a new covenant. And remember I've said before that if you, if you are going to understand the New Testament, you need to get a grasp upon the Old Testament. As a matter of fact, do you know what the word testament is another word for? It's a synonym for simply the word covenant. You could just as well say, let's... Take your Bible and turn to the Old Covenant, Jeremiah chapter 31, instead of the Old Testament. Testament and covenant are basically mean the same thing. So here the Lord is saying, I'm going to make a new covenant, a new testament, a new covenant with the house of Israel. And what is the Old Testament but a record of a covenant, an agreement 
a testament, if you will, that God made with the people of Israel. That's all the Old Testament is. It's a record of God appearing. First of all, you've got many covenants, and we don't have time to start with, with Adam. God made a covenant with Adam. Well, Adam broke that covenant. And God made a covenant with Abraham, and, and he made a covenant with Noah. You know, and on and on. There's several covenants in the Old Testament, a covenant with Moses. And, and every covenant that God made with man in the Old Testament, in what we call the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, it, it's a familiar pattern. God makes the covenant and man breaks the covenant. Man does not live up to his side of the bargain. Man continues to break that covenant. And so the Lord says in Jeremiah, I'm going to make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant, which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord, but this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. That's the old the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, and in that Old Covenant, God appears to Jeremiah the prophet and he gives him a prophecy about a new covenant, a new agreement that God is going to make with man. That was the prophecy in Jeremiah. You go all the way to the New Testament, Luke chapter 22, and Jesus is what we call the Last Supper. They were observing the Passover celebration in Luke chapter 22. And Jesus, the Bible says, He took bread... He gave thanks, he broke it, gave it to them and said, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way he took the cup after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant. So there it is announced. Jeremiah said, The Lord prophesying, I'm going to make a new covenant with the people of Israel. Jesus comes. And as he's sharing the Passover cup, he says, This cup is the new covenant established by my blood. It is shed for you. So there the new covenant is announced. When Jesus came and he died upon the cross, that was the beginning of the new covenant. So it's prophesied in Jeremiah. It is announced in the New Testament. And if you'll go to Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 8, the new covenant is explained in Hebrews. Now, if you make a note of Hebrews chapter 8, chapter 9, and chapter 10, you can go and study those in more detail. We don't have time to go into all those chapters, but I'm just going to pick out a couple of verses. The first one is chapter 8, verses 7 through 13. And here we see the old covenant has been fulfilled and there's a comparison. As a matter of fact, the book of Hebrews, all the book of Hebrews is, and it can get kind of detailed and you can get bogged down in it if you're not careful, but if you understand it and get a grasp on it, it is, it's just a wonderful book to read because the book of Hebrews was written to Jews, hence the name Hebrews. That's who it was written to. That's the target audience, was Jewish believers. 
Well, the Jewish believers, their upbringing was the Old Covenant, the Mosaic Law. And the whole purpose of the book of Hebrews is to make the point and to explain in detail why it is that simply keeping that Old Covenant is not going to save you. Simply following those Old Testament laws and what the New Covenant means and why the New Covenant is so much better than the Old, Te- than the Old Covenant. You say, well, I'm not a Jew. That doesn't mean anything to me. Absolutely, it means a lot to you. And let me tell you why. Because basically the Old Covenant gave, the, gave people a list of laws and rules to keep. And it said, do this and you will live. Don't, don't do this and you will die. Remember the Old Testament? The Bible says, I set before you blessing and cursing. I set before you life and death. You know, here's the commandment. This is my commandment. Obey my commandment and live. Disobey my commandment and die. And so the Old Covenant is simply saying, you have to earn it. You've got to earn it. Remember how I said often our life is like a sheet of paper. We wish we could just tear it out, roll it up, because uh, what we've done is we've made mistakes. You know, you folks, I tell you, you modern students with your Microsoft Word and, you know, you never had to get to the end of a paper, typing a paper, and make that mistake on the last sentence of the paper. And the man, you know, the teacher said, you put any white out on this paper, you fail. No white out. No white out on this report. So you got to type the whole page over again because you hit, made a mistake and mistyped one. So don't let me hear about how y'all have a hard time. You know, my goodness. Uh, but, some, but life is like that. There's no Microsoft Word delete button on life. And, and, and we go through life and, and we do wish we could just start over because we realize that we have failed. I mean, we had all kind of things. People were telling us what to do, and if we would have just done it, things would have worked out much better. But we were so stubborn and hard-headed, and we wouldn't listen, and we wanted to do it our way, and we get to the bottom of the page, and we realize we have made a mess. And all of a sudden, we realize, man, I, I, you know, when I first started this, I thought I could handle it, you know, and I could do it my own way. And now I realize my way's not so good. I'm not as smart as I thought I was. And here I am, I, I, I don't know what to do. Well, that's the old covenant. The old covenant is you get what you deserve. Whatever you sow is what you're going to reap. You get what you deserve. And there's no mercy, there's no compassion. It's simply do it and live, don't do it and die. And the book of Hebrews is all about how Jesus came to give us grace. That's why the the man that penned Amazing Grace, that's why he penned it. He realized that his life was a mess and that he had failed and he deserved nothing but death. And yet God gave him grace and God gave him life and 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 it inspired him to pen those words and he starts that song with perhaps the the two most wonderful words in the English language, Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound. You see, he came to understand what the new covenant meant. The new covenant meant he could throw that old paper away. He could throw away his old life of being a a slave trader and being a wicked, vile human being. He could throw that away through Jesus. And he had a new covenant. He says, I love that verse. Surely I can remember a verse of amazing grace. 
You know, how precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. My friend, if you know Christ, I think most of us can identify with that. How when we first come to Christ and we first realize that burden of guilt has been lifted from us and and He brings to us His peace and His grace and it's like a brand new sheet of paper. It's like a brand new car. Doesn't have chewing gum in the carpet anymore. Everything's new. Everything is brand new. And and God offers that. The gospel offers that. Yes, you can start over. That's the whole message of the gospel. You can start over in Christ. You can have a new beginning. So all the book of Hebrews, I'm just going to read here a little bit to compare it. He says in verse uh, chapter 8, verse 7, there he says, For if the first covenant, the old covenant, had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. Because finding fault with them, he said, and this is going to sound familiar because he's quoting from the Old Testament, the verse that I just read a moment ago uh, from Jeremiah. He says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt because they did not continue in my covenant and I disregarded them, says the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their mind and write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they will be my people and none of them will teach his neighbor and none his brother saying, Know the Lord for all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them for I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds. I will remember no more. And in that he says a new covenant, he stopped quoting now from Jeremiah, and now the writer of Hebrews is speaking himself. He says, verse 13, in that he says a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete. Now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. That's why I had bacon this morning. You know, when I had bacon this morning, I, I disobeyed the Mosaic law. Mosaic law says you're not to eat pork. I like an oyster occasionally. If I'm going to obey the Mosaic law, I better put them oysters aside. I like a flounder occasionally. You know, a flounder doesn't have scales. Ooh, that's not kosher. Can't eat, can't eat a flounder. And so all of those, those were the ceremonial laws of the Old Testament that they obeyed in terms of following that Old Testament law. Well, in Christ... Remember when he appeared to Peter, the angel appeared to Peter and said, Arise, Peter, kill and eat. And he saw, he probably saw some pigs and some all types of animals that weren't, uh, weren't fit to eat based on the Mosaic law, the ceremonial law, the Old Testament. He says, Well, Lord, I've never eaten anything unclean. I, I'm not going to do that. And he says, What I have cleansed, don't you call unclean. And of course, immediately someone was knocking. He woke up from the dream and someone was knocking on his front door. And who was it? But it was a Gentile. He wanted him to come preach the gospel to them. And immediately Peter understood God wasn't interested in whether he was eating bacon or not. What God wanted him to do was to take the gospel to the Gentiles who were considered unclean and not not fit to be part of the covenant. And that's what the Lord meant when He says, Whom I have cleansed, don't you call unclean. And my friend, that's a wonderful verse for us to take with us in our walk with Christ when someone comes to know the Lord that perhaps you know has not been... a They just don't have a good reputation. They got a real wrinkled up sheet of paper. You know, their sheet of paper's got a lot of mistakes on it. 
and you know those mistakes, and they come to faith in Christ, and and uh, there's something in you, a little Pharisee rises up, and you think, well, I, I'm not sure I want to be too good of friends with that person. And I think about the words of the Lord to Peter. What I have cleansed, don't you call unclean. My friend, if one has come to the blood of Jesus and come to the blood of Jesus, then my friend, he can make the vilest prostitute as chaste as a new virgin in God's eyes. And whatever your sin is, God can take you and He makes you as clean and as pure as Jesus because that's what the Bible says. Jesus said that He takes upon Himself our sin as, as Tammy said in that wonderful example a moment ago. He, t- he took upon Himself our sin and He gave us His righteousness. That is the message that of the Gospel. So here in Hebrews 8 and then also in chapter 9, He explains it a little further. Verse 6, He said, Now, He said, When these things had been thus prepared. Well, let's see, let me find it. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 6. When these things had been thus prepared, the priest always went into the first part of the tabernacle performing the services. But into the second part, the high priest went alone once a year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the people's sins committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit indicating this, that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was still standing. It was symbolic for the present time in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered which cannot make him who performed the service perfect in regard to his conscience. Concerned only with foods and drinks and various washings and fleshly ordinances imposed unto the time of reformation. He's saying under the old covenant, the holy of holies that represented where God was, only the high priest could go once a year and he had to perform a certain ritual. And the writer of Hebrews saying God was saying that under that old covenant, the way to God was not yet open. But verse 11, he picks up, he says, and what's the most important word in the Bible according to me? But, and there it is, but, but Christ, but Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with His own blood, He entered the most holy place once for all having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes, he says, of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And for this reason, He is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant, that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal redemption, or the eternal inheritance. You see, Christ is the mediator there in that, that passage of the new covenant. And that's why, my friend, when you think about your sin, or a person is thinking about coming to Christ, and they say, yeah, but my sin is so dark. I mean, I have been such a terrible person. I don't think God could forgive me. Think a moment. How precious is the blood of Jesus? You know, I was, Casey and I went and helped my uncle yesterday put a, put a refrigerator in his house. And uh, Uncle Jerry, and, and Jerry, I, I, I love Jerry because he, he's, he's, he's out of the box, you know. He, he's, he, he's not in the normal box. And, 
And we got through. He said, let me pray with y'all. So, you know, we stood out there and he prayed with us for a minute. And uh, after we got through, he said, you know what? Wouldn't it be something if all that Jesus stuff was really real? Wouldn't that be something? Wouldn't that be something if everything about Jesus was really true? The Bible was really true and all that stuff about Jesus. I mean, that'd be something, wouldn't it, if that was really true? And he just walked off and went back in the house. And, and I thought about that and me and Casey talked about that. Of course, the point he was making was sometimes we live as if it's not true. We act as if we don't. We say we believe it. You know, somebody, oh, yeah, I believe in Jesus. Oh, yeah, I believe Jesus can forgive anything. But we don't act like he can forgive anything. Somebody comes to him and asks for forgiveness. We, we don't forgive them. Maybe, maybe God will forgive them, but I'm not going to forgive them. Wouldn't it be something if what I just read was really true? That Jesus created a new covenant, a new way to God through His blood, not through some ceremony in the blood of a lamb or a goat, but through the blood of the Son of God, the virgin-born Son of God. He shed His blood to cover your sins. Now, I don't know what you've done. But I know that there's nothing any man or woman can do that the blood of Jesus cannot cover. My friend, if there's something you did or someone else did that the blood of Jesus cannot forgive, then let's close the Bible, shut down the church and stop because it's worthless. We can't speak to everybody. But the gospel is clear in its message of a new covenant that God sent Jesus who shed His blood that whoever comes to Him with whatever sin they bring, the blood of Jesus is sufficient to wash away their sin. Because He's the mediator of a new covenant. Quickly, let's move. Look there in, in verse 10. Uh, in verse chapter 10, verse 19. And this is the last we'll do in Hebrews about the new covenant. But He says, Therefore, brethren, this is the result. Going back to that, what if, what if all that stuff about Jesus is really true? Wouldn't that be something... What if it's really true? Well, if it is really true, look, look at verse 19. Therefore, brethren, and what does therefore mean? It means all that stuff I just said means something. Because of everything that, that the writer of Hebrews has just said, here's what it means. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Remember, he just got through telling us that under the Old Testament law, the Holy of Holies, only one man could enter, the high priest. And he could only enter once a year after performing a certain ritual. And now all of a sudden he's saying, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest of holies by the blood of Jesus. What the writer of Hebrews is saying is what I just got through sharing. That when you've been through the blood of Jesus, when God has cleansed you, you truly have a new page. And you can enter into fellowship with God. You can call God your Abba Father. Even though you might have cursed Him in the past, even though you might have ran away from Him in the past, He is your Abba Father. You can enter the Holy of Holies through the blood of Jesus by a new and living way which He consecrated for us through the veil that is His flesh and having a high priest over the house of God. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for He that promised is faithful. And let us consider one another to, in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as the day approaches. There he's talking about the new covenant. What the new covenant does. And under the new covenant, we can start new. 
And if you're in Jesus Christ, don't let the devil condemn you. If you've done something wrong in the past, there's two things that you can feel. Well, there's more than two actually, but, but if you, you can have no feeling about it, that means your conscience has been seared with a hot iron and it doesn't bother you at all, and, and you're really in trouble. But if you are bothered by something you've done, you can have what the Bible calls godly sorrow, which is conviction. And that means you, you know you, what you did was wrong and, and, and you have a desire to change it, to get forgiveness for it. You're willing to do whatever. You're no longer worried about your pride. You're no longer worried about protecting your reputation. All you want to do is make right what you did wrong. That, that's conviction. And, and, and that is repentance. And there's a second thing, it's condemnation. The Bible calls it worldly sorrow. Godly sorrow leads to repentance, which leads to life through Jesus. That's where we bring our sin to Him, and it's covered under the blood, and He doesn't see it anymore. But worldly sorrow is where we begin to think about what we've done, and we begin to say, I am, so, I am such a terrible person. I, I am no good. I'm worthless. I'm, I'm not fit to be in society. And that, the Bible says that worldly sorrow leads to death. It could lead to suicide. You know, where a person just says, I just, I just don't want to live anymore. And my friend, that is from the devil. And if you have brought your sin to Jesus, don't let the devil keep bringing that up. The blood of Jesus is enough to satisfy that. And if it's under the blood of Jesus, you're under the new covenant and you're not under condemnation. You are to come boldly, the Bible says, into the Holy of Holies. You enter boldly into God's presence. He's your Abba Father and He desires that. He sought you out. You didn't seek Him out. Don't ever think you found God. You couldn't find God if He was standing right in front of you. You didn't find God. God found you. God found me. He searches us out. He goes in search of us. The Bible doesn't say that we went up to heaven looking for Jesus, but God sent His Son into the world. God sent Jesus into the world. So God loves you so much that He looked for you, and He sought you, and He found you. Good example? Just take me and Lloyd. I was minding my own business. She worried me to death. She finally called me. Just a little comic relief there. She's here, I wanted to pick on her. But anyway, God sought you. You know, in every relationship, there usually is a pursuer and a pursued. And God was the and is still the pursuer. He pursues you. You don't pursue Him. You might think you do, but you're, we're so wishy-washy. We pursue Him for a minute, and then we're off to something else. God is constantly pursuing us. And He just wants us to reciprocate. He just, he's reaching down. He wants us to reach up. So that's the new covenant. But very quickly, uh, let, let's finish up. Uh, also, the new heart. You know, in, in uh, Ezekiel chapter 36, He says, I will sprinkle clean water upon you, and you will be clean. From all your filthiness and from all your idols, I will cleanse you. A new heart will I give you, and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and, in, and you will keep my judgments and do them. And you will dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and you will be my people, and I will be your God. Well, that's the Old Testament prophecy, but remember, let's look at the New Testament fulfillment. Over in John 3, 3, Jesus said, Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And then 2 Corinthians 5, 17, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away, and all things are new. 
And Galatians 6.15, In Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision. What did that represent? The Old Covenant. Circumcision represented the old, old covenant. He says none of that means anything, but what does mean something is a new creation. That is the new covenant. The new covenant is not about you following a set of ceremonial rules. The new covenant is about you becoming a new creation. You being a new person from the inside out. You see, when you follow a set of rules, you're working from the outside in. You're trying to reform yourself and stop doing bad things. Stop, stop, stop. Stop doing bad things. Well, that... That controls people to some extent, but that's really pretty lame if you want a real change. The best way to change is from the inside out. Change the want to. Change the want to. And that's what God does when we come to Him. He changes the want to in our heart. He changes our want to. We are a new creation. And then moving on, Ephesians 4.22. He says, You took off your former way of life, the old man that is corrupted by deceitful desires, you are being renewed in the spirit of your mind and you put on the new man, the one created according to God's likeness in righteousness and purity of the truth. And then one more, Colossians chapter 3, verse 8. He says, but now you must also put away the old, that is, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and filthy language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you put off the old man with his practices and have put on the new man who is being renewed in knowledge according to the image of his creator where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. And then, moving quickly on, you know, if you've got a new creation and you are a, a, a new being in Christ, then you've got a new song within your heart. You see, when we come to Christ, He changes who we are. And when He changes who we are, that changes what we do, how we feel about ourselves, and how we feel about others. Do you know the reason that you can't love some people? is because God hadn't changed your heart. You know, if God changes your heart, and again, Tammy, you gave me a good, that was some good uh, appetizer for the sermon there. Uh, some of those words you said, you mentioned about the worth, and we finally see the worth of the soul, or I can't remember the exact phrase in O Holy Night, but, but when we realize our worth. You know, it's been said, and I think it's very true, that you really can't love others until you love yourself. And if you, if you think badly of yourself, you're going to have a hard time accepting others. You know why? Because you see others as a threat. You look at others with, you know, they think they're so pretty. They think they're so smart. That's because you don't think you're pretty and you think you're dumb as a rock. You know, so you're, you're intimidated by anybody else that comes around that seemingly is better than you. But when all of a sudden you realize, you know what? God loves me for who I am. That big old freckle I got there... My goodness, I, you know, I love Facebook Live, but sometimes I look at it and I have to, I have to say, Lord, uh, no wonder my shower's clogging up about every six months. I just don't have, I'm losing everything up top. You know, I don't have, I don't have any hair left. And, and we begin to look at ourselves and, and, and just little things, you know, they, they can be humorous, but, but in reality, some of these things can really be serious because people begin to look at themselves and, and they don't feel good about themselves and they, and, and they start placing their worth not on the worth of the soul the fact that God died for you He sent Jesus to die for you but, they, but the worth that the world has like how good looking are you how smart are you what do you contribute to society and my friend we come to God and He shows us that He loves us as we are 
It doesn't matter how, what you look like, how smart you are. God created you and He loves you as you are. And when you realize that, all of a sudden it opens up the opportunity for us to love others because they're not a threat to us anymore. It doesn't matter. They're not a threat to who we are. It doesn't matter that they're better looking than we are or smarter than we are or, or whatever because God loves us just as we are. And we can love others. And all of a sudden we have a new song. You say, well, I don't like to sing. Well, God wants you to sing to Him. To have the, the singing of joy in your heart. And uh, in Isaiah 42, 9 and Isaiah 42, 10, it says, Sing a new song to the Lord. Sing His praise from the ends of the earth. And then Psalms 40 says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry for help. He brought me up from a desolate pit out of the muddy clay and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see in fear and put their trust in the Lord. Now that's all in the Old Testament, but now let's go all the way to the New. And actually, all the way to the end of the New in the book of Revelation where we see the ultimate fulfillment of that promise of having a new song in Revelation chapter 5. John is seeing heaven open and he's describing what he sees and he says, and they sung a new song saying, You are worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, and you have made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. And I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beast and the elders and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. They sing a new song, almost through, and a new name, Isaiah 62 says, nations will see your righteousness and all kings your glory, and you will be called by a new name that the Lord's mouth will announce. I know in our modern age, this has become, for some folks, a little controversial, but it's not controversial to me. But, you know, one of the most important things you can do is to get married, right? And one of the things that we do when we get married is the wife changes her name. And she changes her last name to the last name of her husband. By the way, I, uh, you know, if your wife ever says something to you, God, ladies, don't listen for a minute. It's just for men. <laughs> I know none of you wives would ever do this, but, but, but if your wife ever says something about your family, you know, kind of negative about, about your family, about, you know, maybe they don't do things the way they should or whatever, and she doesn't like the way they do things, here's something to tell her. Just a reminder in a very polite way. Just say, well, honey, I was born one, and you, but you chose to be one. Ah, <laughs> uh, that didn't go over too good. <laughs> Guys, y'all got to help me out here now. Y'all got to help me out. But anyway, you change your name to signify a new beginning. He, he, hey, he knows it's time to get, get out of Dodge. That thunder does. He knows he better leave while he's got a chance. But uh, when you change your name, it's a new beginning. And here the Lord says, I'm going to give you a new name. A new name. 
And then Revelations 2.17, again, going back to the, going to the end of the New Covenant, he says, anyone who has an ear and should listen to what the Spirit says to the churches, I will give the victor some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone, and on the stone a new name is inscribed that no one knows except the one who receives it. A new beginning. That's what Jesus offers through, through His birth, through His life, through His death, and through His resurrection, He offers a new beginning. Last verse I'm going to read is Revelation 21. And boy, this one is full of news. He promises us a new life on this earth, a new life where we're not shackled by the sins of the past. We can be free from the sins of the past. We can be free from those things that have, that, that have caused us to, to uh, fail. That's called repentance. We bring them to Him. We repent from them and we can be free from those and it gives us a new creation. But there's a promise of the ultimate new in Revelation 21. And he says, John says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. I'll just very briefly. If you ever get upset about something at your house or something that's going on, you lost some money, you know, something happened to your house. Just remember, it's all passing away. Everything that exists on this earth is going to be destroyed. And God's going to make a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. He will dwell with them and they will be His people. God Himself will be with them and be their God and He will wipe every tear from their eye. There will be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There will be no more pain for the former things have passed away and He that sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And He said to me, Write, for these words are true and true faithful. Are you tired of the life you're now living? God offers a new beginning. And maybe you're a Christian. You've grown weary. You say, Lord, I've, I've, I've had that new beginning and I've praised God for it. But I, I struggle sometimes and I'm, I'm just having a hard time. There is a promise. God says, behold, there's coming a time when this earth will pass away and I'm going to make a new heaven and a new earth and I will make all things new. I don't know about you, but I praise God for a gospel, for a Savior that came not to reform the old, not to patch up your old life, not to try to make me a fixer-upper, but He came to tear down the old and build something new. I thank God for that promise. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank You that You don't just take an old wineskin and patch it. But God, you give us a new wineskin with new wine from you. And Father, you don't just patch up our problems, but God, you promise to give us a new heart, give us a, a new spirit, uh, to be a new creation in you. And Father, I pray if there's one here this morning who is simply trying to patch up the old, they would stop trying to patch up the old and they would bring the old to you. And Lord, let you give them something new in place of the old. 
I pray, God, to encourage each Christian here. Encourage us, Lord, to be faithful to You, to walk in the new life that You have given us and the promises uh, that You have given us, Lord. And we thank You for this season when we're reminded of the gift of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we stand and sing a hymn.